you thought it was a scene from Braveheart when it first started, you know, I was like, hey, we're watching a movie today or something, but uh, hey, we want to welcome you here today. My name is Paul Mumaw, and I'm the lead pastor uh, at Genesis, and uh, uh, if you don't know me or if you haven't been around, you may not know that, well, I kind of sort of consider myself a runner, uh, and that doesn't mean that I'm any good at it, but uh, it's something that I like to do, and uh, people ask me, well, how, how in the world do you love running? I mean, does anyone really love running. I don't think they do. I don't think anybody does. It's just kind of something you do and uh, something to kind of help keep the heart ticking. It's a great way to just be outdoors and kind of disconnect uh, from everything that's going on. But for me, uh, races make running all worth it. And uh, just the the joy of competition, uh, the joy of a, of a race, uh, of having a finish line like a race on your calendar. It gives you something uh, to work towards. And last week, I had the chance to do something uh, that I had never done before. Uh, me and five other guys uh, competed. Uh, we picture here, we competed in a race, uh, a 76-mile relay uh, from Cincinnati all the way to Dayton. And uh, we just had an awesome uh, time running together. If you've never done anything like this before, it's really interesting. Just a well-organized race. You, you start in Cincinnati, and you don't run. Of course, I didn't run the whole 76 miles, but uh, we break it up into stages. And so there are like 19 stages to this race, and each guy takes three stages, and you finish the last one together. And so uh, we started in Cincinnati at 8 o'clock in the morning, and the first runner took off, and then all five other guys have to run and jump in the van, and then you have to drive to stage two and get there before your runner so that you can get out of the van. And so like I was the stage two runner, and so I waited, and here came our runner, Joel, and he handed me the, the baton, and, and so then I took off, and, and I ran my leg, and we would do this. We did it all day long. It took 10 hours and 50 minutes to run the 76 miles, and each runner ran anywhere from 9 to, to 15 miles apiece, and, you know, there's some fascinating elements to a day like this. Uh, first has to do with uh, sweat, and uh, if you're a sweater at all, I'm a bit of a sweater. Uh, these guys, we were all sweaters. If you think it through, you finish your leg, you've been running, and so you're sweating, and then you've got to go jump in a van. Let's just say none of us agreed to take our own vehicle, so we rented a van. Uh, we had a uh, sweat seat uh, established in the van, and so if you were the runner coming off of the course, you immediately went to the sweat seat in the van as we drove to the next stage so that you could cool off. And I just, I just want you to just start thinking it through. Ten hours and 50 minutes of sweaty guys in this enclosed, you know, four-wheel contraption. Uh, I just feel sorry for the rental agency. You know, they, they got this van back at the end of the day, but, uh, but it was great. And uh, we had an awesome time together, great camaraderie. And the race uh, finished in Dayton. And so uh, for the very last leg, all of the runners, we, we, we came together for the last quarter mile, and it was just a spectacular sight coming down the, the trail into downtown Dayton, and there's the skyline, and, and the race finishes in the park. And as you're coming in, you can hear the music, and there's the finish line, and people are taking pictures and cheering and applauding. The other teams that have finished are kind of helping you, you know, make it that last stride, and, and you come to the end of the race, and there's this huge party. And this great big celebration with, with drinks and food and lots of music and just the joy of, a, of accomplishing such a, a great feat uh, together on that day. And I, I just want to let you know that uh, we were celebrating then and we're going to celebrate uh, today too. We, this is a really 
big day uh, for Genesis Church. Uh, uh, it's a big day, one of my, one of my favorite uh, times of the year. And if you're new uh, to Genesis, you just need to know that whenever we baptize people at Genesis, it's a very big deal for us. And uh, so in a few minutes, uh, we're going to baptize some people today. In fact, we're baptizing almost 50 people between here and our Carmel campus today. And uh, we just think that's so cool. Uh, we're going we're gonna to baptize, uh, I think, four or five people here this morning. We have something like 20 people in our second service, and uh, uh, it's going to be so much fun. And we just want you to know that for every person that gets into the water today, they're, they're going to proclaim something. Uh, they're proclaiming that they have trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and they want to make a public uh, kind of proclamation today that they desire uh, to follow Jesus Christ uh, with all their life. And so uh, we're going to make some noise uh, when we baptize people today, and so that's why you've got noisemakers on your seat, and uh, we're going to throw some beach balls around because for us, it's a party, all right? This is something that is definitely worth celebrating. Don't do the noisemakers until after I'm done, please. But... Uh, <laughs> But before we do that, I, I want to share a story with you first. I want to help you understand uh, why we celebrate baptisms. And so if you've got your Bible, I want to invite you to take it uh, and turn to Luke chapter 15, if you would. Luke chapter 15, uh, verse 11. You'll find some Bibles on the floor around you. Feel free to take one of those. Uh, if you don't have a Bible of your own, take that with you today. Uh, it's our gift to you. Uh, we'll have these verses for you here on the screen too. But again, Luke chapter 15, verse 11, uh, just to help us better understand why it's worth celebrating and why indeed uh, this is a party. And so beginning in verse 11, uh, Henry Nouwen calls this a parable of a father's love. It's a, a parable of grace and forgiveness uh, and mercy. Let me read it for you, uh, starting in verse 11. It says, Jesus continued. Jesus was teaching. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Now, let's just stop there for a second and just call it as it is. He's asking for his inheritance. Uh, his dad's not dead yet, all right? And so he's basically saying to his father, I, I wish you were dead. And so can I just have what's coming to me and I'll just be gone with you and I'll get out of here. And so that's what he did. And so it says he divided his property, the father did, between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields uh, to feed pigs. And so you could say this young man, he's hit rock bottom. He says he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's servants, hired servants, have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. So he comes up with this plan. He says, here's what I'll do. I'll set out, and I'll go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so that's what he did. He got up, and he went to his father. And then it says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his, sons, uh, to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. It says, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and what? Celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to what? Celebrate. 
It says, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, hey, what in the world's going on? He says, your brother has come, he replied, and the father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Verse 28, it says, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Now pick it up in verse 31. He replies to him, my son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to what? celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Hey, briefly, I just want you to see that there are three main characters in this story. We know that there's the younger son, sometimes called the prodigal son or the lost son. Uh, we know there's a father, all right? And then the third character in this story is the older son. Now, he's the one that didn't run away. He's the one that remained loyal to his father. And I think that when you consider a story like this and even look at your own life, that I mean most of us, another, we, we've walked away from God much like the younger son has. I mean, we, we've, we've rebelled. I mean, you went off to college, all right, and everything that, that came with that. I mean, we've chosen our selfish ways, and even from time to time, we continue to do that, even as followers of Jesus. And, and this story that Jesus tells here to a crowd of people, I mean, this parable is so rich, and there are so many lessons in it and so many reasons why uh, Jesus shares it, but one of them comes to mind uh, for me today, and that is that Jesus tells this story, really, uh, to draw a contrast, if you would, between the heart of a loving father and the mentality of the older brother in the story. And most of us, I think we know an older brother. Uh, we know some older brother types. I mean, if you've been around any church uh, for any given period of time in your life, any length of, the, of time, there's a really good chance that you've met an older brother type. I mean, even if you've spent no time in church, uh, there's a really good chance that you've brushed up against one of these. I mean, an older brother type is someone who likes to call out the faults of others. Uh, it, it's someone who doesn't like to see new people coming. It, it's someone who is self-righteous and, and doesn't think there's room for sinners uh, in the church, and maybe, maybe it's an older brother that kind of turned you off uh, to everything about Jesus, or turned you off to the idea of a relationship with him, or, or even with a relationship uh, to a church. And so one of the things that Jesus is doing here in such a brilliant way is that he uses this story to draw out the difference between a loving father and an older brother. And I want to call out a few of those there uh, in your notes. you got a card today that those should be attached to, just a few of these uh, uh, differences that we see in the loving father and the old, older brother. The first one is this. Uh, loving fathers are preoccupied with their missing uh, children. Older brothers are preoccupied with themselves. You know, we're all selfish by nature. I got a little bit of that in me. We all got a little bit of that in us. And that means that we tend to uh, focus on our wants and we focus on our needs. And uh, in the same way, uh, if we're not careful um, our churches and even this church could become so inward focused that we could really lose that heart for people who are far from God, that uh, those people who are still a long 
ways off. And then all of a sudden, if you're not careful, there's this mentality that if you come, uh, you better behave. Or if you don't behave, uh, you have to go. Or if you have a past, you might as well stay away altogether. And that's an older son mentality. But Jesus shows us that his father, his heavenly father, is not like that. I mean, the father in this story, if you recall from the words, he just can't take his mind off of the fact that his son is lost. And did you notice how, how the father was always on the lookout for his son? Verse 20 says that while this younger son was still a long way off, that his father saw him and was full of compassion, and then he ran to him, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Now, I've got to tell you, I try and give my 8-year-old son and 11-year-old son a kiss at the bus stop every day, and they won't have anything uh, to do with that, uh, especially in front of their friends. But, but don't miss the point here. I mean, implicit in this verse is the idea that the father kept waiting, and he kept looking. And one day, he sees this boy coming down the road, and what does the father do? The verse says that he ran to him. Now, in this particular context, in this particular culture, no patriarch, uh, no father would dare shed his dignity and run to greet his son, especially a rebellious son. But that's the beauty of this story. I mean, that's why this story is a story of love and grace and forgiveness because you see, and one of the things that Jesus is pointing out to us is that this father is like no one else. Now, contrast that with the older brother. He's been loyal, right? He's been hardworking. He's following the rules. He didn't run away, and he's thinking about fairness and getting what you deserve, and that leads us to the second difference we see in the loving father and in the older son, and that is that loving fathers operate from a context of forgiveness. Older brothers operate from a context of shame. Let's pick it up, if you would, in Luke 15, verse 29. Look at this older brother mentality. The older brother replies, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, notice he doesn't refer to him as his brother, he says, this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes come home, you killed a fattened calf for him. Now again, that's the older brother, but look at how the father responds. Verse 21. It says the son, let's just back up. So the son is coming home. It says the son said to him, Father, here's his rehearsed speech. I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, now look at how he replies, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and what? Celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to what? Celebrate. See, the son can't even finish his speech. And the father replies, quick, bring the best robe. Guess who had the best robe in the house? The father did. He says, he's basically saying, go get my robe and put it on my son. He says, uh, get a ring and put it on his finger. This is a symbol of sonship. He's not going to be allowed to serve as a slave in this home or as a servant in this home. He is being restored the sonship. And what's the big idea here, even with these symbols of these different pieces? This is forgiveness. This is restoration. This is love and mercy. And what does the father say? The son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. Let's throw a party and celebrate. Can I stop there for a second and just ask this of you, Genesis Church? Um, can we be that kind of church? 
Uh, can we continue serving and existing and living and growing as this kind of a church, a kind of church that welcomes sinners, a church where lost people are found and where the spiritually dead uh, find life? I mean, imagine uh, what God can do in our church. Imagine what God might do in our community, you know, when we as a church are committed to the lives of the people around us, when we're committed to the power of forgiveness and the redeeming work of Jesus Christ, loving as Jesus loved in everything that we do. That's what a loving father does. Tim Keller says it like this. He says, God's love and forgiveness can pardon and resolve any and every kind of sin or wrongdoing. It doesn't matter who it is or what has happened. There is no evil that our Father cannot and will not pardon. The last difference is this. Uh, loving fa fathers throw parties. Older brothers throw fits. Look at verse 28 again. It says, the older brother became so angry and refused to go in. He wouldn't have anything to do with the eating or the dancing or the singing. It says, so his father went out and pleaded with him. His father said, come join the party. All right, don't, don't miss out on what's happening here. And then he continues over in verse 31. Notice the father says, my son. Again, he's talking to the older son. He, he wants him to see that, hey, you have everything that this younger son of mine is now receiving. It's all yours. We get to share in this together. He says, you are always with me and everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. And again, I mean, why do we celebrate baptisms and new life as we do at Genesis as best as we can? Because that's what our Heavenly Father does. That's how he responds uh, for every person who comes home. You know, if you're new to this, if you're new to uh, these stories, if you're Luke to, new to Luke chapter 15, uh, even in this particular chapter, you'd find that this story doesn't stand alone. It's actually the third uh, in a series of stories, three related stories that Jesus tells. And the first uh, is the story of a shepherd who had 100 sheep and one was lost. And so what did the shepherd do? Well, he put even the 99 at risk because he went out to find and to rescue the lost sheep. Uh, the second story is a story of a woman. The Bible tells us that had a number of coins, and, and she lost one of those coins. But what does she do? She turns the house upside down in a frantic search to find the lost coin. She looks until it is found. And then finally, Jesus tells the story of a lost son. And in each of the stories, uh, once the lost thing is found, there's a celebration there's a party, and in the midst of all of that, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son, Jesus makes this statement in Luke chapter 15, verse 10. He says, in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus basically says, there is celebrating over one sinner, even one, who comes home. And when anyone comes home, all of heaven celebrates because what was dead is now alive and what was lost has now been found. You know, you probably don't need me to tell you this because I know you're much smarter than this, but the father in the story, it's a picture of our father in heaven. Uh, Jesus says, this is what my father is like. And he loves bringing his children home. And when they return again, the Bible says that all of heaven celebrates and I just like to point out that for some of you here today, maybe many of you, 
Uh, there was a date, there was a moment in your past where you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ and you were the guest of a heavenly party. And on that day, all of heaven celebrated the new life that you found through Jesus Christ. It was the day that you reached out for God, to God for forgiveness, again, entrusted him with your life. And can I tell you something, that, that he's still crazy about you today? Uh, he, he is still crazy about you, and his love for you and his thoughts of you ha have never changed uh, because his love doesn't change. Uh, it's never changed. His opinion of you has never changed. It is, it is unchanging, and you belong to Jesus, and your life will never be the same because of it. And uh, for some of you, uh, you've never been the guest of honor uh, at a party like this one that we've read about, but I want you to know today that God is waiting, and he is waiting for you, and he is patient uh, for you, and he's waiting uh, to welcome you home. And it doesn't matter what you've done or where, where you've been in your life. I want you to know today that whatever that may be for you, you can come home. Uh, you can start over, and God will welcome you in, and he'll throw a party for you, and he will forgive you in your life, and you'll never again be the same. Uh, we got a whole bunch of people around this room today that you'll see are wearing the Alive shirts, and in just a moment, we're going to welcome some people that are going to be wearing these Alive shirts because they're proclaiming that they are no longer dead, but alive in Jesus Christ. And I want to know if, if you can shout that same about your life today. And if not, maybe today's the day, and today's an opportunity for you uh, to come home to. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you. Uh, we thank you for your love and uh, your unchanging love. We thank you for your thoughts of us, Father, and we thank you for this great example in Scripture uh, where Jesus helps us to see uh, what you're like and how committed and how you desire to bring your children home. And I pray that uh, for all of these individuals that are going to be baptized today, this will be a day they never forget. Uh, for those that are sitting here right now in the room that have made a decision like that and have come home, I pray that today might be a day where their own faith is renewed and encouraged. But I also pray for those here this morning, God, that may not have a relationship with you and are wondering or desiring um, a new beginning in their life. Uh, God, would you draw them to yourself today and give them the faith to reach out to you uh, so that they will never again be the same. Uh, we thank you, and we're going to celebrate now your work in us and through us, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.